Hello and welcome to another episode of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And as we discussed in our last episode that we are going to talk about in this one, just war theory. And given how many incorrect assumptions I had in the last episode, I don't want to start us off on a flawed step here. So I'm going to let you just jump this from the top, Father, and put us in the right mind space. Well, uh, so I just refer you, Joe, and uh, any of our listeners to the Catechism, paragraph 2302, through the end of that section, 2317, basically. And it's in the part of the Catechism that falls under the Fifth Commandment. So it's going through the moral law and is uh, tied in with a number of other things related to murder, suicide, euthanasia, abortion. Um, But, uh, well, another section would be 2263 to 2267, which is about legitimate defense. And so uh, we have to balance all of these things out. Jesus, of course, is radical in making it clear uh, that not only the commandment, you shall not kill, But then Jesus takes that and says, you have heard it was said of the men of old, you shall not kill and whoever kills will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be liable to judgment. And it goes on from there. And so we, the the basic principle is that is all human life is sacred. And so under no circumstance can anyone claim for himself the right directly to destroy an innocent human being. So that's actually the application of the commandment is we, no one has the right in any circumstance to destroy an innocent human being. And then, you know, we, we have to add in all of the, uh, the proper caveats to, to bring this commandment, which, you know, appears in, in one place in, uh, in the gospel, but in the, in the context of a much wider revelation, we, we can't take single words, you know, a single line from Matthew chapter five and sort of absolutize it and, and apply it everywhere. Uh, we're always interpreting scripture in the context of the, the full revelation of God in Jesus Christ and in the context of theology. And so even the invitation of Jesus to, to have a sword, uh, those are the words of Jesus himself. They aren't any less the words of Jesus than his words in the Sermon on the Mount. And so we can't sort of play one off the other and say, well, the Sermon on the Mount's more important. The sword comment doesn't matter, you know. So, uh, and then how do we actually parse that out in the real details of our individual lives? Well, the the church helps us to do that. And, and so uh, starting with the apostles and then the fathers of the church, applying their interpretation of scripture, and then ultimately discerned by the church's interpretive body, the official interpretive body, which is the successors of the apostles, the bishops and the pope, uh, what we call the magisterium, that provides authentic teaching for us and and helps us to uh, apply all of these things in in different circumstances. So one part of that is the uh, right to legitimate defense. So in paragraph 2263, the catechism says, the legitimate defense of persons and societies is not an exception to the prohibition against the murder of the innocent that constitutes intentional killing. And then it quotes uh, from 
St. Thomas Aquinas, the act of self-defense can have a double effect, the preservation of one's own life and the killing of the aggressor. The one is intended, the other is not. And so this is where uh, things start to get a little bit interesting. So I can never intend the killing of another life. I can intend to defend my own life. And then in the process of doing that, I may end up using deadly force, which as a side effect, we could say, as a double effect, ends up destroying uh, another's life. So that's not a necessary thing. I I could even be making the effort to cripple the person, to stop the person, to uh, whatever it is. Uh, but I'm, I'm ultimately trying to defend my own life. That's, the, that's the, the principle, the primary effect. And so as not to use that principle to justify any kind of, uh, I, I don't know, uh, any kind of action as being moral, then there's some, some careful uh, phrasing around that principle of double effect that that our moral theology has sketched out over the last several centuries. What I just read was Thomas Aquinas, which is from the, the 13th century. This isn't like a modern teaching by any means, but anyway, how we, how we actually apply that. Um, the catechism goes on to explain love toward oneself remains a fundamental principle of morality. Therefore, it is legitimate to insist on respect for one's own right to life. Someone who defends his life is not guilty of murder, even if he is forced to deal his aggressor a lethal blow. And then, uh, again, the Catechism quotes from St. Thomas, Secunde Secunde, and says, If a man in self-defense uses more than necessary violence, it will be unlawful, whereas if he repels force with moderation, his defense will be lawful. Nor is it necessary for salvation that a man omit the act of moderate self-defense to avoid killing the other man, since one is bound to take more care of one's own life than of another's. So uh, we might say, well, you know, if somebody comes at you with a, with a knife, you have to let him stab you to death. Uh, well, no, you don't. You, you have the right to protect yourself. And you have the right to protect yourself even to the point of potentially uh, turning that knife on the man and without intending to kill him, you may end up killing him because of the struggle, because that's the only way to actually stop him from killing you. And that's, that's legitimate. So uh, that's easiest to see at the, at the personal level. And then, you know, we can uh, take that up in uh, well, and the, and the catechism goes on to, uh, to say there as well, uh, anyway, a number of additional things. Uh, but it's easiest to take up at the personal level to see that there's a right to self-defense. And there isn't a right to kill the aggressor as such. There's a right to defend myself, and that may end up including killing the aggressor as, a, as an undesired, but perhaps a kind of necessary consequence. And then to take that a next level and to say, well, now you, Joe, have a, have a little boy and somebody comes at your little boy with a, a weapon and you uh, don't just watch, stand by and watch somebody damage or, or hurt, kill your little boy. You attack the guy to stop him from this aggressive action. And in the process of doing that, you uh, apply deadly force uh, that because he won't stop without you continuing to hit him, 
he keeps getting up, whatever it is, um, maybe you'd, anyway, uh, you can, you can elaborate the, the details yourself, but uh, you do that in, in order to protect that innocent human life. And you have an obligation to do that even more than you have an obligation to protect your own life. You have an obligation to protect that little boy who is absolutely dependent on you as his father. And so then you can elaborate that out another degree and think of uh, being an authority over a town and being attacked by an army from another town. And you have the right, in fact, the obligation to protect the people in your town. And uh, again, you can't, uh, that, and this is where we're in the world of self-defense. We're not in the world of, uh, you know, attacking and destroying others for the sake of attacking and destroying others. And so I think uh, you start to get the, the right restraint. I, I won't claim that this isn't messy because, uh, and especially in modern warfare, one could really question, you know, is there any place for nuclear weapons? I mean, basically the church has said, no, there's no place for nuclear weapons. There's just no way to use nuclear weapons that you're actually only stopping unjust aggressors. You're always destroying things excessively and harming innocent people in, in the process of weapons, nor is um, mutually assured destruction uh, a legitimate policy that having nuclear weapons to present, prevent the use of nuclear weapons is uh, it is not a moral approach. The, the the church has been pretty clear about that. So, uh, so it gets complicated in modern warfare. Things like drones and and lots of uh, explosives with broad impact that damage uh, whole structures, destroy cities, and endanger innocent lives or destroy innocent lives. These things start to get pretty hard to justify, and and even. St. Augustine says something like, in order to really kill licitly, uh, you know, again, it's only to stop an unjust aggressor and when deadly force is necessary, but you would have to be able to look your aggressor in the eye and love him before uh, committing this, you know, the act of self-defense that ends up killing him. So uh, it starts to be pretty hard. And that's why through the Middle Ages, you know, even when it was determined to be a just war, the act of killing in war, they just presumed was something problematic. And, and you, you know, these guys would, would make uh, pretty extensive penances in order to do reparation for crimes, uh, for, for, for the killing that took place in war. I mean, and some of the initial like pilgrimages to the Holy Land were soldiers who were working out their salvation, having been involved in these kinds of activities and then wanting to repent. And uh, that's a whole other discussion why such significant penances were, were taken up at that time more so than they would be now. But in any event, the point being that those who even killed in the midst of war were not sort of uh, just uh, pr presumed to be innocent because they were acting in uh, according to you know double effect and and killing as a secondary uh, as a double effect a secondary effect of of self defense or defending innocence so um, so the, it's definitely messy in that whole space but uh, again back to the point there is a right to self defense there is even an obligation to protect the innocent and that can involve deadly force and the use of weapons and that's not contrary to Christianity. 
So obviously a, a lot there. Um, and, and you're right. You can see it much easier on the individual level and it, the further out you get, the the messier it gets. Um, you know, you can certainly make the, the argument that, that all the people in Ukraine are within that direct line, that they're being attacked by a aggressor, um, simply enough. And, you know, they have the right to... To, to, to resist, I, I guess, is, is the way you're saying that. But the thought that I, I had there is you said that the caveat being that, that you have to be able to to truly love um, you, you, your, your neighbor, truly love the person who is, is coming after you. And I, I look at the I, – obviously, I have to look at things throughout my own life. I'm myself. And, you know – a couple of months ago, obviously, my, my first son here is born. And to me, I, I, I thought I knew what love was. But going through this span of his very early and beginning life, it's it's changing. It, uh, um, now, does that mean it, it's different than the love that I had for other people before that? Um, I, I don't think so. But I, but I definitely know that, that it's different now. Um before I never had someone who was solely dependent upon me, as you said there in, in your description. And I bring that up because I think that as we talk about love and, and, and grow in our life, that at least for me, I, I, I experience it differently now and, and have different feelings and thoughts about stuff like that. And my question is, is that, as you've brought up in the past and other episodes about being reductionist and minimal minimalist, and we don't want to take things in relationship to the minimum. Um, it, it seems that, that, that there is an argument for people who want to create violence and use just war as, as an excuse to minimize the, the, the requirement for love element. So I wanted to start by just saying is, is what I'm experiencing the, the view of the church or does the church just simply say love is, is love? You know, it's like the number four, the number four is number four. You add two to it. You're going to come six. You know, the number four is number four. So my question is, is it like that? Or does, does the church see love as something that is different within each of us and therefore kind of malleable? Um, well, love is, uh, yeah, love is always going to be defined to a certain degree based on our own capacity. A, a simple definition of love uh, that St. Thomas Aquinas uses is to will the good of the other. And so uh, that, uh, that willing the good of the other is going to be based on my capacity. So I, I can only carry that out in certain ways uh, i as a as a man and i as a priest and i as somebody who is able-bodied and has access to some resources i mean there are some ways that i can will the good of the other based on what is particular to me and, and particular capacities that i have and then it's also going to be based on what the needs of the other are and so it isn't kind of one size fits all in that sense because not everybody has the same needs and so willing the good of the other is going to be different in different circumstances. One person might be, need to be built up. One person might need to be, uh, uh, you know, spoken strongly to. Uh, one person might need to be fed. 
another person might need to be brought to church, you know? So um, that's always, love is always particular. It's not general. And it always needs to be applied uh, in a particular way. In the context of uh, what it means to to look at a man and love him before uh, killing him, uh, that too, you know, is in kind of an interesting way, it, it gets difficult to talk about these things. It, you know, we're, we're in the land of, of certain kinds of abstractions. But one could say that if the if the aggressor if the enemy is doing evil in in the destroying of innocence and that's why i'm protecting myself and protecting others then in some way the person uh, would be better off killed than allowed to do even more grave evils you know that would be a, a an interpretation from the from the fathers of the church that you know why does we could rephrase it why does god allow someone to die or or deadly force to be used you know we all know that even guns can misfire and uh, swords can miss their target and you know lots of things can happen that prevent our intention from being carried through god could prevent certain deaths from taking place why does he allow them well one one reason can be that you know, it would be better for that person to be stopped. They're only going to multiply evils from here, you know. But anyway, it's one one way to look at it. Um, likewise, it could be in that very moment of being struck, maybe there's a moment of openness to salvation that the, the dying breath also goes together with a prayer, a cry for help, that maybe at that moment in that person's life, they're most ready to be able to receive the gospel in a way, something like the good thief, who is able to receive that in the last moment of his life. So anyway, those are all the things that we don't really know very well about. But uh, all of that is to say, loving is is always particular and, and is going to be based on my capacity and the capacity of the other. Yeah, it's that, that's something that I guess we've discussed many times. It's our job to increase our capacity of love. And as we discussed in the last episode, you know, I, I, I'm trying to, to, to live off the teachings you've been giving me throughout the last five years and trying to grow in, in other capacities and to learn more, you know, part of the virtue of prudence there. And I, I'm still getting blindsided and, and proven wrong quite, quite a bit. Um, and and I, I know that I'm actively trying to get better at this as just talking about me as, as an individual, not as, you know, maybe a little bit aside from, from the just word conversation. It makes me wonder how actively trying to do this and still seeing how far I have to go or really not even knowing that this level even existed, that, that, you know, this capacity was there. Um, you know, how do people who aren't actively trying to do this, you know, someone who's just fumbling through life, if you will, without really thinking about capacity or emotion for, for love and improvement, you know, how, how does that work? You know, it, it seems just, again, this might just be abstract, um, that that's such a confining and limiting thing. But that being said, I had no idea where I'm at existed two years ago. And I thought I was in a very good place then. So I, I, I apologize if that just comes off as ramblings, but it's, it's almost a mystery to me that, that I just don't understand. 
Yeah, well, these are, uh, you know, how do we how do we grow in knowledge in any realm? Uh, we, we tend to be somewhat demand driven. This hasn't been perhaps a, a pressing need for you. We all we also tend to pick a lot of things up from the culture. And uh, on the one hand, I think if I pressed you, you know, about uh, some of these things, you you could have realized, well, yeah, I mean, you know, there have been armies and wars that. Uh, we're not sort of categorically de- condemned by Christianity. I mean, we have military chaplains, right? We have, we have uh, who who have been named saints. We have, you know, good Catholics who fight in armies and things like that. I mean, you know all of that. And and if you were forced to, you could have teased out why why would that be the case, and you wouldn't do it. I also wouldn't do it with the sort of clarity and uh, precision of the Catechism. I mean, there's a there's a benefit to smart people who have thought about these things and the Holy Spirit who works through the magisterium and guides us into all truth. Um, so, you know, then as you, as the question comes up, then you, you look things up and you figure things out and you find ways to explain them. But, you know, I mean, the just war doctrine is not the most pressing issue for selling houses. So it's, uh, <laughs> not, not unreasonable that you may not have, uh, picked all the things up prior to this. That is true. Um, and, and it made me think of a, a, a quick little aside there that, you know, everything in my life, um, I recognize that if I'm not the best at it, I probably should either become better at it or figure out someone who is better at it and then lean on their knowledge and or ability. And I think that a certain way, that's kind of how at least our, the American version of capitalism is built. Um, you know, lean on someone who knows how to fix your car if you don't. And go to a mechanics office. So, what I, I, I go into there is the catechism also always has, or obviously has, years upon years of learning and incredibly smart people who have contributed to how it's it, it's been developed. Um, but there still is a skill and I think a necessity to try to learn yourself. At least for me, in in my understanding. That when I have tried to fix something, I have gotten a greater appreciation for seeing how a professional actually does it. Um, and I think that that thinking about uh, morality and in you know the catechism as a whole is, is about morality um, and the, the whole faith that it puts us in a better place when we start to contemplate if I had to write something like this or if I had to tease it out as you said. How would I do it? Because uh, that's part of where my mind just tends to go sometimes. And again, I don't know if that's a good advice or a bad advice thing, but something that I wanted to make sure I got out before we concluded today's episode. Yeah, that's right. The uh, you know we we learn things for ourselves, and we figure out who knows them, and we learn from those people and. And fortunately, we have books, you know, and especially in our Catholic tradition, we have a tremendous amount of teaching. But the catechism is a real gift for us. I mean, it really goes through some very complicated things in uh, very precise ways and then includes a lot of footnotes and uh, original source material that you can go into to, to look more deeply. I mean, those sections from the Summa Theologica, St. Thomas, explain the just war doctrine and even more detail and you know and then we can find 
courses and professors and all of these things. So, yeah, and, and as you say, we, we learn to do it better by finding the experts and you know, we're not tra- trying to reinvent the wheel all the time. At the same time, you know, we should have access. Faith gives us access to truths uh, without having to without having to reinvent the wheel, so we do develop an intuition for the faith, the sensus fidelium, the sense of the faithful, that uh, that helps us in these matters of discernment. We start to get a sense of you know what's the what is, what does this mean or what what would this be? It's it's amazing how the how the gift of faith provides that for us in a lot of circumstances, even if we can't fully describe why or where we got that from, we can often tease those things out. We certainly can do that a lot better for for things of faith than for a car engine. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, or, you know, I mean, some people have an intuition, a mechanical intuition, but the point is that the baptized who have developed the virtue of faith really get that intuition that that helps to discern those, those truths. If we're you know, again, preserving the sanctifying grace in our souls and trying to live lives of goodness and, and follow Christ, there's a, a lot that we get for free without uh, needing to understand necessarily all the details of how we got there. Uh, a little illustration of this, I had the, the great blessing to go see uh, Jordan Peterson speak at Franciscan University, and he gave an hour, hour-long lecture and basically re-derived for us from scientific principles why the Bible is true. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the theology professor who was sitting next to me leaned over and he goes, well, see, this is what St. Thomas was saying when he said that faith gives us, you know, faith gives the little old lady with her rosary the same thing that the greatest philosophers could barely come to by their own efforts. And, uh, you know... Uh, all of us, I think, there knew that the Bible was true without this very uh, fascinating and detailed and compelling uh, lecture of Jordan Peterson. So, uh, you know, we can we can really lean on that virtue of faith, that sense of faith. And then as we're able to and as we have interest, we can delve into these uh, more nuanced questions and discover the real beauty of how things all fit together in the in the teaching of the church. I'm not hearing you, Joe. Oh, sorry about that, Father. Um, I, I appreciate uh, your answer um, there and uh, and for enlightening me throughout the today's episode and last week's episode for how wrong I can be and, 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 and how much knowledge that you have. And I appreciate that, that you always be willing to, to, to correct me throughout all of it. And we hope that, that this has been beneficial for everyone out there who listens. Um, so we will be with you again here next week and please uh, share us with a friend because that's how we've been growing is through word of mouth. So thank everyone very much. We'll be with you next week. <laughs>